Amen. Please remain standing if you're able, and let's turn to Genesis 50, page 43 in the Blue Pew Bible. Genesis 50, we'll be reading the first 14 verses. This is God's holy word, his inspired, inerrant, infallible word. Let us hear it with faith. Genesis 50. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, Please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die. In my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now therefore, let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers and his father's household, only their children their flocks and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land of uh, the, the Canaanites saw the mourning on the thresh, threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Mizraim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. 
Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Thinking back now to that time of Abraham when he purchased this little piece of land, he did so by faith. It was by faith he purchased that cave tomb right there in the heart of Canaanite country. That is what it was. But he believed God's promise that it wouldn't always be that way. He believed when God told him that his descendants would inherit that land. And so when Sarah died, he bought that cave to be a family tomb. And he was making a statement in doing so. He was saying by faith, my descendants are coming back here one day to this land, just as God said, and when they do, our bones are going to be right here. So Abraham was staking a claim to that land by faith, by faith in God's promise, even though his present circumstances did not look at all encouraging. Well, then years later, by faith, again, Isaac buried Abraham in that same tomb. This time Isaac was the one taking action by faith. And later still, Jacob, by faith, buried Isaac, his father, in that same place. And now Jacob himself has died, but not before making Joseph swear to do the same thing, to bury him back in that same cave. So Jacob himself died in faith, and now by faith, Joseph, his son, takes action. He's going to keep his promise to his father. So Genesis 50 opens just as this man has died, just after Jacob's breathing his last. Verse 1, we're told, Joseph fell on his father's face and wept, wept over him and kissed him. A very emotional scene. What a, what a demonstration of love this is. This man who was denied the, the blessing of growing up and living uh, with this father, now having been reunited for a number of years, uh, he just pours out deep emotion here, grieving for his father. He kisses him and he uh, showers him with his tears. And his brothers certainly wept too. But Joseph's relationship with his father was, was a very special one. It was a very close one. And here he shows us this beautiful example of a son's love. It's also an example of godly grieving. Godly grieving. Grieving in hope. Death for the unbeliever uh, seems... Uh, like a very hopeless thing, but not for the believer. We see that here, that grieving done in hope. This is a man of faith 
weeping for another man of faith. And there's a sure hope of reunion one day. And he knew that. They both knew that. But right now, in this moment, it's the pain of separation that is felt. And it's a very great pain. And so it was right to mourn in this way. But it's a mourning, it's a grieving done in good, sure hope. Hope of the resurrection. Well, then the formal mourning process begins uh, as the preparations here are made for Jacob's burial. Joseph took the lead. Of course, he's not the firstborn, but he's the one in uh, command there in Israel. He's the one in power, and uh, he takes these steps. And he gave orders, first of all, for the physicians to come and embalm his father. That was the Egyptian practice. Uh, it took 40 days, we're told, to uh, finish that process of embalming. The Egyptians had some strange beliefs. It was very superstitious. Uh, they believed that through the embalming of the body, that person would have a, a much better afterlife. I guess the poor people who were uh, not wealthy like this and had no power and a, ability to afford this luxury, they were just out of luck. They were going to have a lousy afterlife. Of course, that's all just superstition, and Joseph did not hold to those superstitions. That's not why he had his father embalmed. Uh, that, none of that was in his mind. He was, of course, in Egypt, but these uh, wicked beliefs of Egypt were not in him. Embalming was just practical in this circumstance. It was just the best way to prepare the body for this long trip that lay ahead of them, this long trip back to Canaan. Now, the fact that we're told here that these, the Egyptians mourned for Jacob for 70 days, that's amazing. I mean, it's, it's like a national time of mourning was declared here, was ordered by Pharaoh. Uh, and it was done out of respect for Joseph, the beloved Joseph, who'd saved the people of Egypt. And this shows us what a high place God had exalted Joseph to. He was loved by the people of Egypt and loved by Pharaoh. A 70-day mourning period um, that was actually only two days less than the mourning period for a pharaoh. So this is amazing. It must have seemed amazing, um, certainly to the Israelites after the Exodus, when they're reading this account, to know that that was the kind of esteem the pharaoh of Egypt had for Joseph. Those Israelites certainly had a different relationship with the monstrous Pharaoh of their day. Well, Joseph sent these messengers to Pharaoh and made this request of him. He said, my father made me swear that I would bury him. 
in our family tomb back in the land of Canaan. So he asked him, please let me go up and bury my father there and I will return. And Pharaoh answered, yes, go up and bury your father. And what happened next is is, uh, another amazing thing. Not only did Joseph and his brothers um, go up to Canaan to bury their father, but all the high officials of Egypt went with him. The uh, elite officials of Egypt, you might say the rich and famous, the people in power, they seem to have all gone along for this funeral. There's a military uh, group accompanying him as well. Chariots and horsemen, were told, went up with them. And it was a very large group. This is, this is basically a, a huge uh, national funeral ceremony. I mean, I thought of... Uh, Uh, the Queen of England and her uh, funeral procession. This is something very great like that. A funeral procession that went all the way from Egypt up to Hebron in the land of Canaan. This is an amazing thing. It's understandable that all these important and powerful Egyptians went with Joseph. They owed so much to him. They were so thankful for him. God had used him to save Egypt from starvation. And under Joseph, well, think of how well Pharaoh was doing now uh, after all the power and prosperity that had increased for him during that time of famine. Basically owned all the property of the people of Egypt. His power and his wealth had increased massively. So there's a great appreciation for Joseph. Remember, think about that. Think about how uh, not only were the people of Egypt saved, but Pharaoh and his power and prosperity was increased. Remember, God had promised Abraham that his offspring would be a blessing to the world. And here we see that partly fulfilled. Abraham's great-grandson would become a huge blessing to Egypt and to Pharaoh and to the surrounding world. So many people's lives were saved through Joseph. Joseph gives us a, a glimpse of a far greater son of Abraham who would bring much greater worldwide blessing. And of course, that is Jesus Christ. But there's no doubt that Pharaoh felt so blessed by Joseph and felt indebted to him. And so he was happy to spare no expense for this funeral. He threw a funeral fit for a king with this great procession all the way up to Canaan. Kent Hughes comments and makes an interesting observation on this. He says, the uh, the, the procession from Egypt to Canaan 
was a mini rehearsal of Israel's exodus. A mini rehearsal of Israel's exodus that would come some 400 years later. Many of the words and descriptions used here to describe this procession occur again in the story of the Exodus. Now Joseph, in this instant, bore the bones of Jacob to the promised land, but then in the Exodus, Joseph's bones would be carried up in the Exodus to the promised land. Now, here, the Egyptian horses and chariots helped the procession up to the promised land. But in the Exodus, they would oppose the people of Israel. It seems the route they took was also a, a foretaste of the future. We're told they came to this threshing floor of Atad, which was beyond the Jordan. For some reason, they took that roundabout way and came up under the Dead Sea and then turned north, and they're on the east side of the Jordan River. We're not sure why they did this. We're not told why, but they did. And 400 years later, when the people finally came in to the promised land, they followed the same route. And they would have to cross the Jordan to enter the land. So this is like a, a little dress rehearsal for the Exodus. And then they had this great ceremony. Uh, really, the, the, the last great ceremony of mourning was held just outside the promised land, east of the Jordan. We read in verses 10 and 11, when they came to the threshing floor of Atad beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And Joseph made a mourning for his father for seven days. The inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw this and they said, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. They named the place after that. Isn't that interesting? Even the Egyptians joined in this mourning. We're told it was a loud mourning. So the Egyptians themselves, not just the, the family of Jacob, were mourning aloud like this. This is not a quiet mourning like we do in our society when someone dies. This was a loud kind of mourning. Uh, a lamenting and a loud outpouring of grief. So much so that the Canaanites, uh, they, they couldn't miss it. They heard it. Then they crossed the Jordan and they moved on toward the burial place, toward that tomb. In verse 13, we read, uh, his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought. Now, this was just a field with a cave full of dead men's bones. Nothing else there. 
except Canaanites. The whole place was surrounded by Canaanites, but this one little plot of land was theirs. Israel owned it outright. And this was just a small token, this little piece of land that was theirs. A small token that one day the whole land would be theirs. The whole land of promise. So in this act of faith, they reverently laid Jacob's body to rest. It was a very sad day for them, but also a great day of hope. They were looking forward to the future, looking forward to far better things to come. And then they left. They didn't stick around. They went back. They crossed back over the Jordan and returned to Egypt. And none of these people from this family would ever return to the land. Not alive, anyway. They'd live out their days in Egypt as pilgrims, as aliens in that place, walking by faith and teaching the future generations to do the same, to trust in the Lord, believe his promises, and to await their fulfillment. So it's one long line of faith that we see as we, we look at these patriarchs and their descendants. Now, don't get the wrong idea. They're, they're not perfect. They're far from perfect, as we see in the stories of Scripture. Scripture doesn't even try to hide that. It shows them to us warts and all. They're far from perfect. But what they do is they believe God's promises. They were trusting in the Lord and His Word. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that this line of faith continued down through those centuries leading up to the Exodus. By faith, they were looking forward to that day of deliverance. Deliverance from that slavery in Egypt. And when the day came, it was by faith that they left Egypt. And they went out as free people, free to serve the Lord. Hebrews 11, we saw that great litany of ways that Israel walked by faith. By faith, they kept the Passover. They sprinkled the blood on their doorposts. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea. By faith, they saw the Egyptians drowned when they tried to follow. By faith, they saw the walls of Jericho fall down when they came into the promised land. And the writer says, we could go on and on talking about the judges and the prophets who walk by faith. But he sums it all up. And he says, all these, though they were commended for their faith, died and did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. 
What does that mean? Well, the Old Testament exodus, as good as that was, as glorious as that was, of a deliverance of God's people by the Lord, it did not give God's people what they were really longing for, what God meant them to be longing for. The Old Testament promised land, once they came into it and possessed it, it didn't give them what they really needed most of all. Neither did the kings of Israel or the priests or the prophets. The people all died in faith, waiting for something better. And now that better thing has come. That better thing is a person, a savior, far better than Moses. He has led his people on a far greater exodus than that exodus of the people of Israel. The writer of Hebrews continues in chapter 12, as we read a moment ago. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the one that God's people were looking forward to in faith. He is our Passover. And all who are under his blood have full deliverance from sin, from its guilt, from its power. And one day we'll be completely free from its very presence. And in union with Him, we have a far better promised land to look forward to. A new heavens and a new earth where God Himself will dwell with us in love forever. Is that what you're looking forward to? Are you walking by faith toward that promised land? Looking for the Savior, longing for His coming. He is coming again. And Scripture calls us to look forward to that day, to look for His coming by faith. So stake your claim to that heavenly promised land, people. Place all your faith in Jesus, and he will bring you to that glorious place that he has gone to prepare for you. He will bring us home to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would lift up our eyes from this um, 
this passing world and the things that so easily captivate us and distract us from eternal things. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the, the author and perfecter of our faith. Fix our eyes on that heavenly promised land that you have promised to us. We long to be with you. We long to enjoy your presence. We long to be completely free from the very presence of sin and all our enemies. Protect us and guard us on this earthly pilgrimage. And Lord, let us not be satisfied with this world, these things that are passing away, but make us long for you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.